What's up, HHSR family? This is your man, Justin Hicks, coming back with another edition of the Hip Hop Sports Report podcast. Um, Really quick, before we get into today's episode, though, the last time I had the opportunity to speak to y'all was actually on um, December 31st. And um, we were talking about a year in review, doing a a year-end recap and kind of recapping um, actually the decade, I believe, um, just talking about rap music. And and we talked about the passing of the Nip Hustle to Great. In talking about that, I actually made a comment regarding Kobe Bryant saying that, you know, Nip Hustle's was impact was so large that he had his funeral in the Staples Center and that one day when Kobe Bryant passes away, they'll probably have his services in the Staples Center. I said that kind of tongue in cheek on December 31st, not knowing that less than a month later, Kobe Bryant would literally pass away. Um, like everybody else, I was devastated by the news of Kobe's passing. Um, he was such he had such a major impact on the game of basketball and sports and athletic culture over the course of the last two decades, and um, he's obviously going to be uh, inc- missed incredibly. I just wanted to take a moment just to to recognize um, Kobe's passing here on the podcast. We actually have more planned um, for Kobe uh, to talk about Kobe's impact on the game and. You know, we haven't had him yet, and we're a few months removed from the tragedy, but um, it's still fresh in my mind. I think it's still fresh in a lot of people's minds, especially as the debates between who's the greatest of all time, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, and, you know, Kobe's um, fans are are sticking up for him as usual, and um, as they should, because he's probably the most skilled player that I've ever seen play the game. And so um, Kobe, uh, again, he will be missed, and and, uh, rest in heaven to him, his daughter Gianna, and all of the passengers on that aircraft that crashed uh, over Calabasas in late January. But I just wanted to make sure that we had some acknowledgement for his passing and and that we will have more coverage on his passing and his legacy at a later date. Right now, we're going to use this podcast to get into the 2020 NFL mark draft with our friend and uh, family member Mark Hicks. But uh, shout out to Kobe Bryant once more. And let's get it on, y'all. What up, what up? We're back. Mark Draft. You can feel it in the air, man. The weather starts to break. You know what I mean? The the flowers start to bloom. April showers a little bit, but the weather starts to get a little bit warmer out. You know what I'm saying? And we start seeing those colors. Easter comes and goes. Normally, the NBA playoffs will be tipping off right about now. But we know... Not even a pandemic can shut down the Mark Draft. You know what I'm saying? Mark Hicks, our resident draft expert, has been here with us year after year after year. But we love the Mark Draft so much, and it's such a hit that we have to bring it back every year. So, Mark Hicks, thank you once again for your time, cousin. How are you today? I'm good, cousin. How are you? I'm doing great, man. It's a beautiful sunny day here in central Illinois. Um, it's it's like low 60s, which is... Not, you know, I mean, it snowed earlier this week. So, I mean, you know, we don't we don't really know what to get because it's still the Midwest. However, you, a longtime resident of the Midwest, had a recent change of scenery due to life circumstances. Is that not right? That is true. I'm uh, actually uh, as of last July, uh, we my family and I moved down to uh, Tyler, Texas. It is the home of uh, Hall of Famer Earl Campbell. Oh, there we go. There we <laughs> and go. Also, not too far from here in in White House, Texas, which is about mm, less than twenty minutes from here, is the birthplace of Patrick Mahomes. 
Oh, really? So, Patrick oh, Mahomes. Yeah. Patrick Mahomes was gonna—he's gonna actually make it into this podcast. In fact, that's a perfect lead-in, Mark, because I haven't had the opportunity to discuss with you or the beautiful people that are listening and downloading to the Hip Hop Sports Support podcast about the Super Bowl. Patrick <laughs> Mahomes came from behind to lead the Kansas City Chiefs to their first Super Bowl in fifty years. Is that right? I think it was fifty years. Uh, yeah, fifty. Awesome, man. Awesome. He's he's the real deal. Holyfield, man. You can't knock him. You can't take anything from him. He's It's his league right now. And, uh, I mean, for my money, I still prefer Tom Brady, even with the year that Brady had. But Patrick Mahomes, it's hard to deny anything that he's accomplished at, at such a young age. You can't, you can't really, like I said, you can't really knock him or fault him for anything he's done. Real quick on the Super Bowl, y'all. I, I was a little annoyed. By how that unfolded. As you guys know, I predicted that the 49ers would win the Super Bowl. In fact, I thought that the 49ers were going to win the Super Bowl fairly comfortably. They met, and I was looking really smart, y'all, for like 52 minutes. You know what I'm saying? 52 minutes of a 60-minute game. I was looking brilliant. Then Pat Mahomes takes a 17-step drop and chucks it 50 yards in the air, and Tyreek Hill just happens to catch it. Now, I don't want to say just happens to catch it to make it seem as though that's not something that's within their skill set. So it's not as though that was surprising. And then the avalanche that followed, in terms of from a points perspective, I think they scored like 21 points in like the last eight minutes of the game or something. That is not unexpected from the Chiefs either, nor is just coming back on teams in general because they did it in every other game in the playoffs. So all of this was within the realm of possibility of what Kansas City is capable of doing. However... I just looked at it like San Francisco blew their chance because they were the better football team for 52 of 60 minutes. All they had to do was continue to run the ball down their throat like they did with everybody else that they played against in the postseason. I think Raheem Mostert had like 12 carries in the Super Bowl, something absurd like that, like a ridiculously low number. I honestly feel like San Francisco is the better team today. It's probably not the the thing that most people would agree with at this point. I mean, I just thought San Francisco was was better top to bottom on their roster, and they're better on both sides of the ball, more well-balanced, and they looked like the better team for the majority of that game. Mark, did you have any quick, quick takeaways on that? Nothing besides predicting the uh, final score. <laughs> oh, that's right. Oh, I forgot. Thank you for reminding me. Yes, Mark Hicks, not only did he correctly predict the Chiefs would win the game, he predicted the score, so... This is why we have on the podcast, y'all. I mean, I know a lot of stuff, but I don't get everything right. I just get like 97% of it right. And then when I'm wrong, we got people like Mark to clean me up, you know? Um, and then the other big offseason story right now is is uh, Tom Brady, of course, switching conferences, going from the AFC after 20 years in New England, and now he's joining up with Tampa Bay. I'm not a Patriots fan, but I do I, – I just, I'm just a big Brady believer, and I just – it would have been nice to see him retire in that uniform. But the fact that he wanted to keep playing, I, I felt like he's earned the right to do that. I mean, you know, if you take his age out of the equation, there's no way that anybody would suggest that he should not be, you know, vying for the starting job in New England or anywhere else. But, you know, here we are. And the, the thing that kills me, though, is that, Mark, no matter what happens, people are going to use him moving to Tampa Bay as the... Uh, the like the, the the linchpin of the argument as to who was more responsible for New England success, Tom Brady or Bill Belichick, right? Like that's what they're that's what people are feeling like this is gonna be the result of this move to Tampa Bay. We finally get to see Belichick on his own without Brady. We get to see Brady in Tampa without Belichick. This will settle the score once and for all, so that there's no questions about it going forward. We know it's either gonna be all Tom Brady and Belichick is riding his coattails or vice versa. And here's the thing, y'all. Those two dudes 
would not be what they are without one another. I think both of them would admit that. But here's the thing, Mark. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because nothing that Brady can do in Tampa is going to hurt his legacy, contrary to popular belief. At least, at least it shouldn't. And the same with Belichick. But here's the thing. This is not a good barometer in terms of judging what one guy would have been without the other over the course of the last two decades because it's not, it's not fair. Tom Brady leaves New England. He gets to pick wherever he wants to go. Now, granted, he didn't have 31 other teams to pick from. A lot of teams were settled at their quarterback position, but he got to choose the situation that he felt was best suited for him. Naturally, he chose a scenario where they had great offensive weapons. They had a, a coach who had a wide open playbook. You know, like these are the same things that we saw Peyton Manning do when he went to, to Denver. And what did Manning do? He went there and he had the greatest quarterback season of all time that first year in Denver. So it's like, these are things that we, that, that Brady should be doing. He should be setting this up for him, his own personal success. But that's not really a fair way to gauge what would have been without Belichick. And then on the flip side of it, nobody's going to give Tom credit for creating the system and creating the culture that New England has become. But Belichick didn't create that on his own. He had Brady there to carry that out every single day. He had Brady to game plan with every every week going into the next uh, contest. So he only had one quarterback that entire time. And when he did not have that quarterback, Mark, do you know what Bill Belichick's record is? Probably wasn't that good. <laughs> <laughs> You're very perceptive. Um, so Bill Belichick, uh, in his career in New England, in games that are started by a quarterback other than Tom Brady, he's 18 and 19. Yeah, there you go. He's 18 and 19. Belichick has five years of experience in Cleveland under his belt as well. So he's got the five years in Cleveland that everybody seems to just not count for some reason. Like, it's like when Jordan lost in 95 against Orlando. Like, people just don't count it. Like, they just act like it didn't happen. Belichick coached in Cleveland for five seasons. That's not a small sample. Five seasons. His record was 36 and 44 in those five years. That's 45%. He's under 500 in New England without Brady. So you put it all together, he's 54 and 63 all time in games quarterback started at quarterback by anybody other than Tom Brady. That's a 462 win percentage mark. You know who that's on par with? That's that's Jerry Glanville, Joe Philbin territory. Yeah, so yeah, so I mean, th- I mean, so without Brady, Belichick. And we're talking again. We're talking over six, almost seven full seasons of evidence without Brady. He's Jerry Glanville as a head coach. So that's not to say that he's not the greatest of his generation because he is. I'm not knocking Belichick. He's the best coach of this era. He's not the goat, but he's the best of this era, absolutely. But don't sit here and act like if the Patriots make the playoffs and the Buccaneers don't for some reason, all of a sudden that validates that he was the biggest reason for their success the last 20 years. We already know what Belichick is without Brady. We've seen it before. Anyway. I think think that was well said, though. I don't think even this particular period of time with those two apart from each other is not going to tell, it's not going to answer the question. You're talking about Brady is 43 years old. Right, that's another thing. Exactly. Uh, Which you didn't even bring, which you didn't even bring up at that point, but he's 43 going to a brand new team, a new environment and everything else. It's not like he's 27 (laughs) and having years to build on this. This this is the end of the the role for him. And and while he's not... um, you know, physically done. He's, you know, his his skills have diminished a little bit to the point where you're not going to get the, you're not going to see Tom Brady as his best. Right. And I think that's the sad part. Um, and and the flip side with Belichick, he's got Brian Hoyer and, and Jared Stenham at quarterback. I mean, 
seriously, how often do you really expect to win with those two guys? So this is just a microcosm of what probably could have been with with those two uh, being apart, but you're never going to get a true answer off of it. The Mark Draft, 2020, here we are. Um, Cincinnati Bengals are on the clock, Mark, um, and you guys all know what the Mark Draft is by now, but in case we got some new listeners, I hope we do. Mark tells us what each of these teams in the picking in the top 10 ought to do with their pick. This is not a mock draft. Mock drafts are stupid. They're meaningless. They're based on faulty information and guys just guessing for clicks. This is what if these general managers are smart, what should they be doing with their pick? And Mark is going to tell us. So with the Cincinnati Bengals on the clock, it seems like a slam dunk that Joe Burrow is going to be the guy, Mark. Are you going to confirm with us that that, in fact, is the case that the Cincinnati Bengals ought to select Joe Burrow with the number one pick in the draft on Thursday? I'm not going to disagree with that at all. Uh, yeah, so I will go with Joe Burrow, uh, quarterback from LSU at number one. Athens, Ohio kid, so uh, in, a, in, a, in retrospect, he is coming back home to play. And he has the opportunity to really uh, uplift a franchise that has, you know, pretty much been in the doldrums of the NFL for years. Um, you know, after nine seasons of Andy Dawn at quarterback, it's, you know, it's finally coming to a close with him. Um and I basically was, I mean, last year was, if there was any indication that, that this was ending, I mean, he, he was a, had a 78.3 passer rating for that, for that final year, lowest amongst quarterback with, with over 250 attempts. So it, it was time for, for them to draft or looking for his successor. Quite honestly, they, they did it about three years too late, in my opinion. But, you know, teachers, though, I think Joe Burrow has the skill, the skill set, the, um, the possible uh, mentality to actually go into a franchise like Cincinnati and build that up. My brother talked, and I talked about this before. The one thing that that worries me about Joe Burrow is the adversity thing, and 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 this is the only reason why I say this. You know, he went to Ohio State as the per, a person who was going to bring a quarterback play or or the necessity of a quarterback to uh, the Big Ten, and most importantly, Ohio State. He was going to be that that person to start that whole process. And I I think with uh, Dwayne, uh, him sitting behind um, Dwayne Haskins, uh, and then now he's, and and now he was uh, realizing that Justin Fields, when he transferred up from Georgia up to Ohio State, that he wasn't going to get the job. He felt it was about his, it was his best time to go and get out of here. And he also sat behind JT Barrett as well. I just think, uh, you know, if you talk to my brother, he questions, you know, his, his, um, how he handles adversity was right. the first thing for him to do was just to get up and get out of there as opposed to try to fight and try to, uh, learn the position instead of having something handed to him. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not. I'm. I'm in that corner to a certain degree as well. I, I think. Um, I'm curious to see how he handles adversity on a team that has that's not really uh, known anything about winning, and how he establishes the culture there. Because as the quarterback, as you just mentioned with Tom Brady, he's going to be the focal point of whatever culture that um, that team is actually trying to do down there in in, in, in Southern Ohio. So. Joe Burrow is the pick for me, and but that was the only real true question mark that I had about him. It was his ability to handle adversity. I'm glad you mentioned that, Mark. Um, so real quick on the Bengals. So new coach Zach Taylor came in last year. 
Um, you know, obviously the running gag was, you know, he had a cup of coffee with Sean McVay once upon a time and it got him a job, right? So he goes to Cincinnati and they stink, right? They're like two and <laughs> two and fourteen or whatever, worst record in the league. Um they they lost Jonah Williams, who was their first round pick last year, to a torn labrum. He didn't play. So this is basically them getting their cornerstone quarterback and left tackle in the same draft because they're going to get both guys back at the start of this upcoming season. And and so we know they need a quarterback. The A.J. Green thing was funky, but they ended up, I believe, franchising him. So he's coming back at least for one more season. So we know that he's going to have at least one legit target to throw to. And Tyler Boyd was very good. And John Ross had some moments when he stayed on the field healthy. Um, Cincinnati's not quite as bad as their record might indicate. Their offense was a nightmare this past year. But like you said, that was largely due to the fact that Andy Dalton was their quarterback. When you said nine years of Andy Dalton, Mark, a, a <laughs> chill went down my spine. You know what I'm saying? Like nine That's years. A long time, man. That's a long time. But you got to give it to the Brown family that runs the Bengals, man. They, they are as conservative as a team as there is in the NFL. They're the opposite of the Browns. They they don't they don't pull the trigger on firing coaches. They don't pull the trigger on replacing the quarterback. They don't do any of that stuff. They say we're going to give this thing a real shot, so we know exactly what it is we're working with. So you have to commend them, I guess, to a degree for that. But nine years of Andy Dalton, nine years because they're cheap, <laughs> or, or or it could just be that they're penny pinchers and they you know they right yeah, they don't want to yeah. like, they don't want to pay coaches to not coach the team like the Browns do. I think the Browns are still paying Mike Holmgren or something um, for running the, for running the franchise. <laughs> Uh, running the franchise into the ground, that is. Um, so, so, but now, as, as far as your 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 take on Burrow and, and uh, you know Vince's take on Burrow being that you know he kind of avoided some adversity, I don't really buy into that that idea. And and I don't, as a matter of fact, I don't believe that enough credit is being given to Joe Burrow for being the kind of prospect that he is. I'm hearing people say like, oh, he's he's good, but I don't think he's going to be special at the next level. And maybe he won't be. But here's what I do know. 60 touchdowns this year. 60 to 6 picks. 5,671 yards passing. A 202 passer rating. He's He had the greatest or at least most productive college football season we've ever seen short of anybody who was um, throwing uh, touchdowns at, at Hawaii with like Timmy Chang back in the day, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, like that's right. you know what I'm saying. Like, like we we haven't seen these type of numbers. You know what I mean? That that he put up. The reason that people knock Burrow, they don't like his arm. They say that his arm is not elite. They say nope. that he may have run from adversity, like you pointed out, and that he was the product of all these great players and people around him. Obviously, Joe Brady was the offensive coordinator for Ed Orgeron at, at, at LSU. He gets a job as the Carolina Panthers offensive coordinator. They have receivers that are going to go in the first round of the draft. I mean, there, there was playmakers all over the field for LSU. But I, I just and that and that Joe Burrow was he went there. He transferred, had two years left of eligibility. The first year he was good, and then the second year he had this amazing jump. But it's like why only, why did he only have one year of this level of production? The I feel like those arguments are so weak. All of them. I feel like they're all weak arguments when talking about Joe Burrow. His arm strength, first of all. It, like who cares? Like as long as it's not a noodle, which it's not. You know what I mean? We've seen so many dudes with cannon arms that that can't throw a beach ball in the ocean if they're standing on the shore. It does not matter that much when you talk about arm strength versus the other qualities that a quarterback has to have. We're talking about poise in the pocket, poise under pressure. We're talking about leadership. We're talking about study habits, intangibles, maturity. We're talking about accuracy. Accuracy is the big thing, Mark. That's the most important 
um, element that a quarterback can have coming out of school. I feel like accuracy and decision making. And Joe Burrow excels at all of those things. So he can't throw a football through a brick wall. Who cares? Like, it does not matter. That is the least. As long as it gets there. <laughs> as long as it gets there. And he's, just, he's the most accurate passer that we've seen come out in years. He's, he's better than everybody that came out in the Baker Mayfield draft. He's better, than every, he's better than Kyler Murray and everybody that came out last year. He's better than all these dudes. And then we talk about Tua at Alabama versus Joe Burrow. There are some people, um, prominent people even in the sports media, that prefer Tua to Joe Burrow. So even, even with Tua not being healthy, but like even if we were to assume that he's healthy... They prefer Tua to Joe Burrow. Nobody talks about Tua throwing to Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs and and uh, Waddle, Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith. Like <laughs> Alabama's receiving core was absolutely unbelievable. They were every bit as good, if not better, than LSU's. But people still want to think that with a degenerative hip or whatever, or with a with a Bo Jackson hip, that Tua should still be picked over Burrow or should be picked in the top five. Like. The big game performances that we saw from Joe Burrow, I mean, he's just, I mean, I think he's hes as good of a prospect as we've seen in a long time come out. But to get back to the point that Vince made about him running uh, away from Columbus and running down the Baton Rouge, I don't really buy into that either, Mark, because first of all, it was the right decision because... I mean, yeah, you could you could sit there and, and say like it was the smart thing to to or it was the it was the brave thing, I should say, to to battle it out with JT Barrett and Dwayne Haskins and these guys and, and Justin Fields or whoever and try to win the win over the starting job. But there was little chance of that ever happening, even if he stayed and tried to do that, even if he outperformed him. I mean, there's there's the belief that Haskins was given the job because. Uh, you know, there was a pipeline to Maryland prospects that they wanted to keep open at Ohio State and that by giving Dwayne Haskins that job over Burrow, that it was going to keep that pipeline open rather than turning off Dwayne Haskins by not giving him the job. So there's some speculation about that, those politics. But in addition to that, Dwayne Haskins, I think that was my kids. You probably heard that during the basement. Um, <laughs> but, but also Dwayne Haskins threw 50 touchdowns, right? Like in the Big Ten. So it's not like Ohio State made the wrong decision. Uh, and, and then Justin Fields came in and almost led them to the national championship. Again, it's not like Ohio State made the wrong decision there either. But Joe Burrow made the right decision for him. He he got up out of there because he saw the writing on the wall. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think you want to talk about adverse situations, maybe being uh, given up on as a prospect, uh, as an elite-level college quarterback at, in Columbus, and then going to a new system, a new team, a new environment, Obviously, he, he was staying close to home in Columbus. He's going out of his comfort zone to go down to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And he turned that whole program around into a, a champion. And so I feel like that's a pretty adverse situation that he put himself in. He was in adverse situations going to the SEC, playing against Auburn, playing against Alabama, playing against Texas, who's in the Big 12, but he played them this year, playing uh, in the national championship against Clemson. That's pretty adverse. He destroyed all those guys. So and there's NFL players all over the defenses for those teams. So I don't have any issue with Joe Burrow leaving. You know, the adversity thing I feel like is silly. And, you know, if, if, he, if, if he has any issue with facing adverse situations, he should probably force a trade up out of Cincinnati because turning around the Bengals is going to be a tall task. But he seems to be up for the job, so I don't see any problem with it. Yeah, as long as he, as long as he gets the help that he needs from both uh, management and, his, and Zach Taylor – I think he'll they'll be okay. It's, it's, it's going to be a. I think it's going to be fundamentally important for him to have you know not necessarily uh, get have stacked players like they like he did at LSU, but to have uh, other talented players around him so that he doesn't feel he has to carry the entire load himself. 
as far as the, the the knock about him jumping, his production jumping to to his senior season, like what was he supposed to do? Throw less touchdowns this year? Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like, like people, like people just attach. A lot of people who didn't know exactly what they were getting with him. I think that was the problem because you look at his game. His game, he uh, because of his ability to also run, he has a little bit of that that Mitch Trubisky and Daniel Jones in his game. But the problem is, or I guess the benefit is, is that he's a better decision maker than both of those guys. Not even it's not even close. We, we, between his decision making, his toughness, and his accuracy, he he pretty much blows them out of the box. So they automatically assumed that he was going to be a runner, he, and running is just a part of his game. But he's he's a he's a natural thrower. If if Joe Burrow did not have a big jump in production in his senior season, everybody would be saying that he was a prospect with a low ceiling because he's older, right? He's already right. 23 years old. He's older than Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson just won MVP. He's older than Lamar Jackson. He Against pressure, this is a number, some numbers from ESPN. Against pressure, really quick, Joe Burrow, 72% completion percentage, 11.4 yards per attempt, 20 touchdowns, two picks against pressure this year. Like he, He's excelled in, in every conceivable way. He's, he's been out of this world this past year. And if the only knock on him is, well, why didn't you do that? You know, for two years instead of one. It's like, come on, really? Like, you know, I mean, like, how come Patrick Mahomes didn't win the Super Bowl two years ago, but he won it this year? Are you going to knock Patrick Mahomes for that? Like, you, you, you still want Patrick Mahomes and you still want Joe Burrow with the first pick of the draft. I, I feel like any, any criticism of Burrow at this stage is lunacy. That's kind of how I feel about it because he was that exceptional this past year for LSU. With the number two pick, we have the Washington Redskins, another uh, seemingly slam dunk type of pick. They have a new coach, Ron Rivera, from the Carolina Panthers. Um, they have Dwayne Haskins is still their quarterback, so there's some talk that maybe that they could look at quarterback if they're not satisfied with Haskins, although I don't think that's going to happen. Um, they had a, a contract situation with Trent Williams. He's still kind of waiting in the wings there to get moved. They haven't moved off of him yet. They had a surprise year from Terry McLaurin, a wide receiver from Ohio State. Um, yeah, it makes sense to draft Buckeyes. Hashtag draft more Buckeyes. I say it all the time. Draft more Buckeyes. I wish the Browns figured that out. The Buckeyes get players from Maryland like Chase Young and they turn them into stars. And now Chase Young has the opportunity to go back to Washington, D.C., to DMV. Mark, is that what they ought to do with that pick? Without question, that's all. That's what they of course, need to of do. Of course they should. Of course. Chase Young, without question, is the pick for me because quarterback aside, he's the best player in the draft. And even with Joe Burrow, I mean, you could make an argument. Had let's just say Chase Young, and I think I saw a stat where he they said that in his last the last three games that Chase Young played, he we registered no sacks. I think if he had had is that, is that fair? Uh, is that, is that some, a fair criticism? Some sacks in those three games, you could possibly be talking about him as the number one pick over Joe Burrow because of what he's done in his career, and basically only as a two year starter. Um, he had 21 tackles for loss, 16 and a half sacks, seven forced fumbles. I mean, as a junior, and you can't get much better than that. I mean, from a defensive, uh, from a defensive player position, um, you can't affect the affect the game more from a defensive end position than you did than Chase Young did for Ohio State last year. He's pretty much everything that you could ask for as a defensive end or or a defensive lineman. I think he's he he shows off a, a whole a whole bunch of skills. Um, Chisel body, for example, extremely quick off, quick off the snap, uh, can anticipate pretty much what a quarterback is going to do, and he can read it, read the quarterback from, uh, read the play from a distance. 
Uh, he also has a good understanding of, 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 of zone spacing and stuff like that to cut off underneath routes. He did that a lot at, at Ohio State, which I was very impressed with. Um, the biggest thing that I have for a weakness with him is his inconsistent pad level. But I think that comes with him learning the game, getting with some veterans and his, and his coaches, helping him learn a, you know better technique. And with him being a Maryland kid, exactly, um, it, it makes absolutely no sense for them not to take him. So that's who I would take if I was uh, Washington Redskins. And, and Ron Rivera, who's the defensive coach, um, at number two. When you watch Chase Young's tape, it's, it, it's comical. Right, like it's 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 comical how he dominates tackles that he goes up against. Um, I mean, his explosiveness off the line. I've never seen a college player consistently get the jump that he gets on a snap. Like he just knows the snap count seemingly on every single snap, and he's just in the backfield. He's not jumping off sides like Miles Garrett is left and right. Um, <laughs> Browns fans know all about that. No, he's not doing that. No, 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 no. Chase Young is. He's timing it perfectly all the time. He's always in the backfield, always disruptive. He's he's got no weakness in his game, like you said. I mean, he's he's amazing against the run, and he's better against the pass um, and rushing the quarterback. He he looks on TV. He looks a little light in the britches, but I mean, I think he's still listed at like two sixty five or something like that. Like it doesn't it doesn't really come off like yeah. that. I mean, he's he's explosive and he's so fast, Mark. I mean, I, I I've. Again, like you said, he's as good of a defensive end prospect as we've seen in, in many years. I think he's better than Clowney. I think he's better than Miles Garrett. I think he's better than both of the Bosa brothers. I think he's better than all of those guys. So uh, number three is uh, the Detroit Lions. Um, they're, they're, they're clinging to Matt Stafford for reasons that are still unknown. Um, they just... <laughs> Like, like, like I don't, I don't, fat face Stafford, fatty old fatty face is still hanging on, man. Eating Doritos as we speak. I don't, I don't, um, <laughs> I don't dislike Matt Stafford really. Like, it's not like I hate Matt Stafford. I just don't. I never saw anything special about him. I didn't see anything special at Georgia. I didn't understand why he was like the slam dunk number one pick that year. And in his career, you know, he's tough. He's played through some injuries. He's had some tough luck. Calvin Johnson retired on him early. You know, some stuff has gone against him, but I just have never seen anything remotely special from Matthew Stafford. I don't think he's a special leader. I don't think he's a special player. I think he's good. I think you can win with him if you have everything else around him in place. I think you could probably win a lot of games with him, but that's not what the Detroit Lions are. Like, let's let's be real about it. So um, we know that Matt Patricia is still their head coach and they're trying to turn the Lions into the NFC Patriots. That's still going on. They traded Darius Slay for a third and a fifth in this year's draft. And they absolutely stink at at the line of scrimmage. So this is the the the, the tackle position is the best position, uh, probably the deepest position in this draft, along with wide receiver. So maybe they go offensive line, but I don't. You know, there's a lot of possibilities there. They could go corner, given that they they traded away Darius Slay, who I think was 29. What say you, Mark? What's the, what's the right move for them? Well, even with Darius Slay, and I'm, I was a, a fan of Darius Slay by the, by. By the way, um, no team allowed more air yards, receiving yards minus yards after the catch than Detroit in 2019. So, and the Lions also inter- intercepted like basically like 1% of all pass attempts, which is the lowest in the NFL. So, despite any other needs that they may have, the, the, be- the best route for them um, would be at corner. And the best corner in this draft without without question is Jeff Okuda from Ohio State. Um, 
I think he he plays both the pass and the run. He's a physical corner, which is exactly the type of uh, of player that Matt Patricia in, in Detroit needs. They need tough players, and I think he would uh, he would fit in very well with that system there. And I think he would be that I guess typical shutdown corner that everybody talks about for Detroit. Um, I as 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 other they have other needs as well, like you like you was just talking about offensive tackle edge players. Let's just say, for example, if if Washington fell asleep and, and didn't make the pick and, and Chase Young would have dropped the three, I, if I was a Troy, you'd jump all over him. But um, being the way being the way that it is and everything going the way that it that it has been so far, Jeff Okuda is the best pick for them because it it fills an immediate need for them at this point. I mean, we might see some technical issues with the whole draft being virtual, done on Zoom or whatever. Like, uh, you never know. <laughs> Somebody might freeze up. You know, maybe maybe the uh, Internet connection is not that solid in Detroit or in Washington. Who knows? I don't know. I, I agree with you that, that Jeff Okuda appears to be the, the best corner prospect in the draft. He ran a 4-4, 8-40-yard dash. He's got good size, 6-1, um, You know, I don't know if there are such things as shutdown corners, but – Coming out of the draft, he's he's pretty close. You know, he's drawn comps to Marshawn Lattimore, another Buckeye. Uh, Jeff Okuda obviously is a Buckeye himself. Hashtag draft more Buckeyes. <laughs> it's a, it's a, Ohio State should have more championships. It's amazing that they have like all that the, is the thing. All, all the talent that they've had the last five years, uh, they should have more than one championship. But um, yeah, Jeff, I agree. yeah, Jeff Okuda. I mean, he looks like a solid pick, and like I said, given. Everything that he brings to the table, and, and Detroit could certainly use some help in the secondary. Uh, the fourth pick, and actually before we get into the fourth pick, or actually kind of leading in with that, you know, we know that um, two years ago the Giants drafted Saquon Barkley second uh, in the draft, and, and you and I um, argued that the Browns should draft him first. And what we've seen is that you know, there are just certain positions that, that, that seem to covet more value than other positions. If you are picking in the top three to five, arguably even the top 10. You, the, the, these days, the way teams are operating, you had better either be drafting a cornerback and, or excuse me, a quarterback, an offensive lineman, or a pass rusher. And the only other position that maybe you can get away with drafting in the top 10 is defensive back. But if you're not drafting a corner, a quarterback, a pass rusher, or an offensive lineman, specifically a tackle, in 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 the top five to ten picks, like you're doing it wrong. That's unless the player is special. Saquon Barkley was special, so we made an exception for him. Um, and he actually fell back last year a little bit. He, he had some injuries, and he just was not as sharp as he was as in his freshman or rookie season, I should say. Although I don't think that has anything to do with Barkley's ability. I still believe that he's probably the best running back in football right now, um, even even with the, the the down year by his standards. Um, we know that uh, Danny Dimes, as you mentioned earlier, had a better than uh, what was expected rookie season. The Giants also went out and they made some dude named Joe Judge their head coach. I don't. Um, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't know a lot about Joe Judge, other than. You're a special teams coach. That's, that's all He's I a special know. teams coach for the Patriots, and he somehow made that jump from special teams coach in New England to head coach of the New York football Giants. I don't see how a guy makes that jump without, like, you know, narcotics being involved. 
<laughs> somehow, like some some kind of way, there had to be some type of you know drug usage or intake exchange. Something, you know. I'm I'm just saying, Mark. I don't I don't get it. Like you know, but more power to Joe Judge. And he gets all, he, he he gets his job, and then he does. He, he's like the cliche machine, right? He's like doing all like the hard hat stuff in his press conference. Like we're gonna be tough and physical. We're gonna play hard hat New York Giants lunch pail football and that kind of stuff. It's pretty funny. Apologies for that. That was my son making a cameo on the podcast once again. So, Mark, what what should the Giants do with the fourth pick of the draft? You already um, intro what I, where I was going with the Giants. Um, they went off script with with drafting Saquon Barkley at two a couple years ago. Um, but if you're in the top ten, we we discussed this on, on many of occasions. You either drafting a quarterback, you either drafting a, a offensive lineman to to protect that quarterback. Or you drafted a, a, a defensive player type edge rusher who was going to attack the quarterback. The Giants with with uh, with their issues, they drafted Daniel Jones last year, which you know the jury's still out on them. But whatever, at least they made made the pick. Um, they have they have some weapons in place on the offensive side of football, but and they also have some uh, a couple of veterans, you know, and um, on their offensive line. For example, Nate Soder at uh, left tackle and Kevin Zeitler at right guard. But the rest of the line is horrible. It's garbage. So I'm going to go with the offensive line for them. I'm taking Jedrick Wills, the offensive tackle from Alabama. And for me personally, I would have him start off as at right tackle with the potential if uh, – if they move on from Nate Solder at some point to move them over to left tackle. But that's the person I would take. Well, there's been some speculation that they may um, actually trade or excuse me, cut Nate Solder. So because, you know, he has a huge contract. They signed into a huge deal about two years ago and nothing's really come of it for the Giants from as far as uh, team success goes. So there's some speculation there that he may not even be long on that team. But again, having Nate Solder there with with Zeitler and with uh, Dredgett Wills would be a, a great fit there. Now, you mentioned the tackles. There's four tackles in this draft that uh, appear to be a cut above the rest, even though that tackle position seems, seems to be extremely deep. Is Wills the tackle that you think is the best of the foursome? And those four, again, being him, uh, Tristan Wirfs, Andrew Thomas, and Makai Becton. Yes. I, I would say of the four, he is the best tackle in this draft. Uh, I have some I have some different things for the other three, which as far as what they're good at and everything. But if you put everything together, I, I, I would say Jedrick Wills is the is the best of the four. Um, you know, a couple of his strengths, of course. You know, he he's um, he has pretty good athleticism for his size. He's six four three twelve, so he has good balance. He has a, a great initial punch, and what I love about Offensive lineman in particular is offensive lineman with mean, uh, mean streak. Um, and he definitely has that. He plays until the whistle blows and sometimes after the whistle. So you have to be careful with that. Um, and, and pretty good with a change of, at a change of direction. He has, uh, decent lateral quickness. Um, but his, I guess the, the issue that I have with, with Jedrick Wills, especially if, if, uh, if Dave Gettleman and the Giants Look at it like you you just mentioned about the fact that Nate Solder is, is going to is, they're looking to cut him or let him go because of his cap number. The problem with that is, and especially right now, is that Jedrick will plays basically on the right side only, and particularly the, the uh, he was a full time starter 
uh, on for the tight at right tackle and played in every game for the last two years. So he has very limited, if any, experience on the left side. So that would be a dangerous move to let him go. So I'm, I would definitely, definitely keep him or just absorb that contract at least for one more year and possibly two, depending on how he uh, progresses. Well, Will's his his technique seems to be excellent. You know, I mean, he he seems to be more polished than some of his uh, his contemporaries there at at the tackle position. And you mentioned again the transition from right to left tackle. Maybe that's something he could do with an actual off season, but he doesn't really have that off season this year because of the virus. He wouldn't have the time or opportunity to put into work with the coaching that he would need to maybe make that type of transition out the gate. Exactly. So I think that could could come into play as well for him. Um, but again, he appears to be a, a great prospect there. The fifth pick, uh, I think, I think I called, I think I called Daniel Jones, Daniel Jacobs. I think I did, but uh, also, yeah, yeah, I think you might have, he, but he it's, protected, it's okay because nobody knows who he is anyway. Uh, not yet. He, he protected Tua's blind side. Tua was a left-handed quarterback too, so he does have some experience protecting the blind side because Tua was a lefty last year playing on the right side. Correct. Um, the Dolphins have the fifth pick. They were tanking for Tua all year. Um, they traded away all of the good players on the team just to screw over Josh Rosen once again. Um, <laughs> the, the guy with the worst luck in the league is Josh Rosen. Nobody wants to give him a fair shake. Um, and uh, Brian Flores still managed to pull five wins out for that team. So now everybody loves Brian, For- Brian Flores. Um, so right now the quarterback is Brian Fitzpatrick. It doesn't appear that he's, you know, I mean, Brian, he's older than me. Like, I don't think he's going to be long there for that job. Um, so it's, it seems to make sense that they're going to go quarterback here, but uh, there's some questions there. They went on his free agent spending spree in Miami. They brought in Byron Jones, the corner from the Dallas Cowboys, which is a great move. Um, they have a ton of draft picks, so they could trade up if they really wanted to, uh, unless they're trying to get into the top two. Then I don't, I don't know if they'll be able to do that. Do you know who their leading rusher was last year in the Miami Dolphins? Um, um, is it Miles Gaskin or Caleb Belize? It was Ryan Fitzpatrick, Mark. That, that, <laughs> it was Ryan Fitzpatrick. That's how. That's how. Oh that's how horrendous their rushing attack was. That they, I mean, they're they're setting football back a zillion years um, running the football. Anyway, what should they do with the fifth pick? They're not taking a running back, but maybe they should. I don't know. No, they won't take. The, they, I guarantee they were going to take one, but they're not going to take one uh, here at five. So. Um, now here's the, I guess this comes to the the battle the battle of the quarterbacks at this point because once Joe Burrow is off the board, now it's a battle of who is the second. I guess in my opinion, who on the pen these uh, GMs, who is the second best quarterback in this draft? Um, is it Tua Tagovailoa from uh, Alabama or is it Justin Herbert from Oregon? Um, and I've saw different you know, quote-unquote mock drafts and things like that where it's been flip-flopping back and forth between these two guys for the last two weeks. But for my money, if, if it was me drafting um, for them instead of, I guess, uh, the GM for the Dolphins, I think it's Chris Greer, the person that I would draft would be Tua Tagovailoa from uh, Alabama. And he would be my centerpiece. As risky of a pick that this is, I think if I'm just going off of just pure talent, I think uh, two is the guy that I would draft if I were Miami Dolphins. Yeah, I agree that from a talent perspective, I think Tua is uh, considerably better than Justin Herbert. I know Justin Herbert's getting a lot of buzz right now. He played well in the Senior Bowl. He had a great finish to the season. 
Uh, I don't see him being anywhere close to Tua or Joe Burrow from a talent standpoint. So, um, Tua's definitely the guy. But again, it's the injuries. He's had, like, not just the hip, but he's had, like, two other ankle injuries, I think, within the last year. He's been really banged up, and he's small. He's only, like, 6'1", um, which is small for a quarterback. Uh, he's stocky, but small. Uh, you know, it's it's a tough call as to whether or not you, sh- you would want to roll those dice. I mean, it's pretty much going to determine Chris Greer's job, right? Like, if Tua stays right. healthy and performs well, then he gets to keep his job. If Tua is good but just can't stay on the field because he's injured, he's going to get fired. And that's just kind of the reality of the situation, unless they were to give my man Josh Rosen a legitimate chance, which they won't do. Um, which they won't. Um, yeah, I mean, Josh Rosen, for his sake, he's better off trying to get out of Miami and just find a new team and then hopefully do the Teddy Bridgewater thing and kind of work his way up as a backup. And that's going to be his only way he's going to get a fair shake in the NFL. He's going to have to really earn it because whatever cachet that he had for being a top 10 pick is out the window now because two teams bailed on him without even giving him a chance. Um, the number six team is the uh, Los Angeles Chargers. They're the most talented 5-11 and 11 football team I've ever seen. Uh, Phillip Rivers is gone. Melvin Gordon is gone. Um, they spent some money on the O-line in the offseason, but they did trade away Russell Okun, and, uh, and they whiffed on Tom Brady in free agency. So um, they're saying that they're going to go into the year with Terod Taylor as their quarterback and I guess Austin Eckler as a starting running back, but that doesn't seem like a, the best idea. So what should the Chargers do? Maybe a trade-up is in their future. Um, they, they possibly could trade up. Um, if, if, if they like Tua better, um, then uh then Justin Herbert I, I could see them actually trying to make a make a deal with like maybe like for example uh the Giants or even Detroit to try to make sure that they get you know get two instead but uh, if they stay where they are um and then it, it becomes a situation where they they have no choice but to take Justin Herbert the quarterback from Oregon um and it's not it's not like that don't like Justin Herbert. I just think I like Tua a lot more than him um, because he does. He he's a uh, has a high football IQ. He understands how to play the position. He uh, is very good. If, if you if you watch any of his games, he's very good at uh, at play action. He's a very good ball faker, and he and he. I, I've watched a number of his games where where he's faked out the cameraman so uh, so much um, because he's very good at that. He. In that particular sense, he reminds me a lot of Boomer Esiason. His arm is is very good, probably uh, probably stronger than both uh, Tua and and Joe Burrow's. I also like the fact that he's been able to deal with a, uh, play on teams where he really didn't have a lot of talent and still uh, was able to make plays with them and actually win games with them. Um, the problem with him is is that he's basically a one read quarterback and that he has. You know, he, he has to constantly has to adjust to the football, um, even on like on like five yards of screen passes and stuff. He he doesn't throw with anticipation or, or throw his guys open. So and then he takes a lot of unnecessary sacks. I think that because he holds on to the football too long. But those are things that he can improve on when if he has the opportunity. And for him to go to LA and city behind Tyrod Taylor, I mean that's not that's not the end of the world for him because he could use some time sitting behind and holding a clipboard and just just learning the nuances of the court of the quarterback position in the NFL is is key to him and I think that's where LA will be the perfect destination for him. Yeah, I mean Justin Herbert. So I'm a little surprised to have you 
if you were running the charges, would be picking him there. I mean, because you don't, it doesn't sound like you love him, but yet you would still invest the sixth overall pick of the draft on him. I mean, he's huge. He's six foot six. He's got a, a big arm. He's got a big wind up to me, which I don't think is the greatest thing in the world. He really kind of, you know, winds that thing up. It's not Tim Tebow level wind up. Her, you know, Tim Tebow looked like Hideo Nomo in the pocket, but like, uh, it, it's still a pretty big wind up, I think, compared to some of the other guys in the draft. I like Jordan Love a little bit better than Justin Herbert. To I, was, I, was just, I didn't want to cut you off on that, but I, I, that was I was going to say if if they if they like Jordan Love enough to wait for wait on him because I think he needs time to adjust. If they really want to just push that Tyrod Taylor starting thing, I think uh, I think he has more upside than it. Just about any of these guys in, the, uh, in any of these quarterbacks in this draft. So if they're willing to wait on him and give him the opportunity to learn a position, then that would be the place. That would be actually be the place for him. Um, I don't think that the Chargers would would basically do that. Jordan Love has the has the ability to be actually be a better prospect than Herbert. But you would still take Herbert though if you ran the Chargers. Yeah, only because of his experience, his, his experience level at quarterback. I think uh, while um, Jordan Love has the most upside, Justin Herbert has has, has the most experience. Um, I'm glad you mentioned the, the ball fake ability because that's something that when I was looking at tape on and, and highlights of Justin Herbert, uh, I thought the exact same thing. I actually wrote it in my notes that he's really good with the play fakes and the play action and the pump fakes. He really excels at that. And you, you dated yourself a little bit with that Boomer reference, but that's okay. Uh, the Carolina Panthers picked seventh. They had a rough offseason, man. The Carolina Panthers lost three pillars of their team in one offseason. They lost their coach, Ron Rivera. They lost Luke Keekley. He retired, the leader of the defense. And they lost Cam Newton, the leader of their offense and the heartbeat of that team. I mean, you could argue if Cam or Luke Keekley was the heartbeat of the team. They lost them both. And they lost the head coach. Pretty much everybody that was on that Super Bowl team from five years ago is gone. And it just goes to show you how quickly things change in the NFL. Uh, the NFL is – your window is right now. Your window is one to three years. That's your window to make things happen. And if you don't – because guys who are in their prime at 25 are too old at 28. And guys who are old at 28 are retiring at 29. And if you can come in and contribute right away – like Russell Wilson did with Seattle, then you can go and win a Super Bowl because you have a guy winning a Super Bowl in the second season, like Mahomes did in his second season as a starter. Carolina right. lost all those guys. Um, they hired Matt Rule. They rolled the dice on him. They rolled the dice on Teddy Bridgewater as their starter. Um, they paid Christian McCaffrey a ton of money, and they, they're running him into the ground, and then they paid him a ton of money. That feels like a dice roll. They got rid of Riverboat Ron, and they're still gambling more than any team in the league, Mark. Um, so tell me, I feel like they need a safe pick here. I feel like they need a safe oh, pick. That is so true. What should they do? As soon as Cam Newton was was let go, I was like, okay, you got Matt Rule coming in here. You get you got a whole new philosophy. Like you said, you let all these pillars go off of your team. Your your ba- basically your best player on the team now is Christian McCaffrey and. So you're going to need a quarterback. That was that was my first thought. They'll, but then they uh, they pumped out the money to Teddy Bridgewater, and I think, okay, let's see where you know finally giving Teddy the opportunity for him to actually start and and be a, a cornerstone of a franchise because he didn't get that much of an opportunity in Minnesota after he got hurt. So then I was his opportunity to, to you know to take the medal and actually be the uh, the 
the focal point of an NFL football team. So actually has this this uh, spot pegged for Jordan Love. I don't think that Matt Rule wants to go ahead and, and go the quarterback route because I think he's going to try to win now. So with Luke Keekley now retiring and being off of that defense, they're going to need somebody at linebacker. Uh, our defense or our their defense was actually horrible last year, and I think they need somebody who's going to be the pillar of that defense. I'm looking at Isaiah Simmons, the linebacker from Clemson, and the main reason why um, I, I would I would select him is because not necessarily of his versatility, because that versatility can you know when you think of versatility, and especially on a defensive player, you're automatically thinking of Jabril Peppers. <laughs> but I think <laughs> Isaiah Simmons is way better of a of a football player than than Jabril yeah. Peppers was. And I think most importantly, he played linebacker more than any other position uh, on the defensive side of the football, unlike Jabril Peppers, who played pretty much equal equal time at all these different positions. So he never really had a core position, and it really wasn't until after the, his first year in the league that they finally decided, okay, this is where he needs to be. He needs to play safety. Um Isaiah Simmons is a linebacker, and I think if you put him there, he can be the pillar and the cornerstone of your defense, and I think that would be a good uh, good way to start off for Carolina because they need uh, linebacker help, especially after Luke Keekley uh, retires. So that's where I would go if I was there. That's so hilarious because I thought the exact same thing about Jabril Preppers when, when I was doing some Isaiah Simmons <laughs> research. I'm like – you know, they're talking about hybrid and ooh, the, the new uh, buzzword is positionless football. I'm like, y'all, y'all need to knock it off with this positionless football stuff. Like, that might sound cute in, in basketball terms, you know, in some respects. Right. Like, no, like, you're not going to see a six foot, 195 pound guys playing defensive end. It's not going to happen, and, and vice versa. Like, you still need positions on defense. Maybe you can you can get a little hybrid going with safety and, and, and inside linebacker, but I doubt it. Like, generally, People are going to be what they are. Once Isaiah Simmons gets drafted, he's going to be drafted to play one position. I'm assuming that position is linebacker. And once he gets stuck in that spot, he ain't going to move. They're not going to be moving him to safety. And nope. and, and it's not. And I don't think it's going to be a real pepper situation either, where he was the, the jack of all, many trades, and the master of none. Right. Um, right. Uh, so I, I mean, I like Simmons. I think he's a rangy guy. He's fast. He, he's a good tackler. He's good in space. So the Panthers would would do well by him. Um, the eighth pick of the Arizona Cardinals. Kyler Murray had a decent season last year, um, a little bit better than what I anticipated, but he's going to be looking real good real soon because DeAndre Hopkins is coming over for nothing. They traded a ham sandwich away to Houston to get Hopkins back, and he's one of the best receivers in football to pair him with Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk and some of these other guys they have there in that air raid system that Cliff Kingsbury is running. Um, the offensive line is horrendous and the defense is horrendous, but at least the passing game looks set up to um, make Kyler Murray look very good, and maybe now is the time that they go offensive line with their pick um, to sure that up a little bit better. I just, I, it just, I can't get over the Rosen thing. I can't get over how they're setting up Kyler in a way that they didn't set up Rosen. I, I need to let it go. Mark, what's your, what's your move for the card? <laughs> so if I'm if I'm Arizona, you, I mean, it's quite obvious to me that they have to go offensive line. They're going to need help at, at, at tackle. Um, they have, you know, they have different players there. They have a rotation of guys there right now and who either are expiring deals or on, on their last year of their deals. But to uh, 
similar to what I was thinking about with the Giants, I'm looking at a guy um, who has played right tackle for most of his college career, but has the ability to become left tackle. But depending on where they need him at that particular point in time, if I'm Arizona, I'm going to take Tristan Wirfs, the offensive tackle from Iowa. Uh, I've always been a big fan of Iowa's um, offensive linemen uh, because they, you know, because of Kirk Ferentz, of course, with uh, with an athletic guy by Tyler Murray, uh, like Tyler Murray, uh, Murray in the um, in the fold, you have to have an athletic tackle, and I think Tristan Wirfs, uh, even more so than Jedrick Wills, has as probably the most athleticism uh, in this draft from an offensive tackle standpoint. And that would be somebody that I would definitely look at. That I mean, that makes sense to me. Um, and like you said, Wirfs is the guy who, from an athletic standpoint at the Combine, uh, seemed to blow people away. So that seems like the, the smart pick for, for them. Um, moving on to the Jacksonville Jaguars at nine. The Jags, so we talked a minute about, about Carolina losing their pillars. The Jacksonville Jaguars had a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter of the AFC Championship game on January 21st, 2018. That was like a little over 24 months ago, dude. I mean, we're, we're like, we're, this is, it's staggering how fast the Jags have fallen. They got rid of Blake Bortles, which I'm not going to knock them for that. But they traded away Jalen Ramsey. They traded away Nick Foles, they, who they just acquired last year. They put the keys in Gardner Minshew's hands. They uh, traded away A.J. Boye, and now there's rumors that they're going to trade away Leonard Fournette. Like, they pretty much turned over the entire roster as far as their key contributors are. And they traded Calais Campbell. Like, Calais Campbell. I was just about to tell, say that, yeah. too. Yep. So, I mean, like, like, like they've, they've done a complete 180 from this one year where it looked like they had a shot to make the Super Bowl, and in less than two and a half years – Undercut all of that progress, and now they're they're back at ground zero. What's the pick for them at nine? Well, the pick at them uh, for them, uh, you can go two two ways. Um, uh, right now, personally, I'm looking at I'm looking at them, and I'm thinking that um, they're all in with Gardner issues. So if if they truly believe that this guy could be a focal point of an offense, uh, that's fine. I'm not technically sold on that. I mean, I would. I would actually, it would actually make me pause to, be, to take a look at Jordan Love right there. But uh, let's just say if I if I had the same mentality as, as they do, uh, to me, their biggest they they're not right now in a, in a, in an identity crisis. They don't have an identity. Their identity the last uh, as as soon as two years ago was about their defense. And there's and right now they don't have any pillars there anymore. So defense is no longer a, a strength of theirs. So for me, this pick screens defensive player to me. They need they need more help on the defensive line, at least to start that whole process off of rebuilding that defense. So for me, the best defensive lineman after Chase Young is Derrick Brown, a defensive tackle from Auburn. And that's who I would start to be a, a physical building block for that defense and to get that identity back in Jacksonville. Yeah, I think that makes total sense there. Um, Derek Brown, athletic as hell. I mean, he's a big dude. Yeah. He, he, he's not a little man by any measure. Um, he's actually 6'5", 326, but he's effective against the run and the pass. Um, in, a, in a draft that doesn't seem to be very heavy on uh, interior D-line, um, he's the best of the bunch. Uh, the Jags do have three picks in the top 42 and two picks in the top 20, so 
this draft is going to be extremely critical for them. If they don't nail those first three picks, they're going to be picking in the top 10 for a long time to come. Um, and now we have come to what we've all been waiting for. <laughs> the Cleveland Browns are on the clock with the 10th pick. You are Andrew Berry. You thought you were going to be John Dorsey. You are not John Dorsey because the Browns can't keep anything together. Um, and that includes the front office. So John Dorsey is gone. Andrew Berry is in the fold. We know Paul D. Podesta is, is um, kind of running the show there behind the scenes with the, with the advanced analytics and the metrics and stuff like that. You know, the Browns need an offensive tackle. I think the, the, the analytics would suggest that Tw- Tristan Wirfs is the guy, but he's gone off your board, Mark. So now we are in a situation where the Browns who need a tackle may be picking the third best tackle of the bunch. They also need a linebacker. The best linebacker is Isaiah Simmons. He's gone. This board is not really breaking the Browns' way, but um, things tend to never break the Browns' way. That's, that's kind of how it goes for the Browns. T- to recap quickly, I mean, they underachieved. I think they were 6-10 and 10 last year. Baked Bortles, as we call them affectionately in our family, not, not to be confused with Blake Bortles, but Baked Bortles, a.k.a. Baker Mayfield, stunk last year just like we said he could. Um, he was horrendous from start to finish. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what kind of excuse you want to make for him for the offensive line play or the coaching. That They stunk too. No question about that. But Baker Mayfield is supposed to be the leader. He's supposed to be the catalyst. He's supposed to be. He's making all the decisions. It, he's the one that got Freddie Kitchen hired in the first place because of how they performed in their, uh, in their second half of his rookie season together. And really, we were telling people that, you know, he's just feasting on bum competition. Well, lo and behold, they give him the keys, they give him Odell Beckham, and he does nothing with it. He does a bunch of progressive commercials, and he gets sacked a bunch of times. He has the game on the line with the, against the Rams, a chance to win it, and he doesn't do anything with it. He's throwing interceptions left and right. He threw three interceptions in the fourth quarter of the first game of the season at home last year. Baker Mayfield has been a disaster for the Browns. He was a, He was overrated as a rookie he had a good year but his production was overrated in general and he was an absolute abject failure last year and they're still going to bring him back as their quarterback mark so they're too invested now it's too late to go back at least for this year anyway so what happens now that freddie kitchens and john dorsey are gone they 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 did get austin hooper they dumped a bunch of money into uh jack conklin to play right tackle uh, so I think that the Browns are going to be better offensively. I actually think that Baker's going to be better because it's hard to get worse from being the, the second uh, highest turnover machine in the league next to Jameis Winston. Baker was second in, in interceptions last year. So, you know, I don't see him getting much worse. If they improve the line and they continue to turn the ball and hand the ball off to Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, which I think is what they're going to do in a more of a play-action friendly type system under Kevin Stefanski, you know, they're basically scaling it back because they saw they said, oh, shit, Baker's not nearly as good as we thought. We got to scale this thing back. So Stefanski's going to help with that. The line's going to help with that. And now they have a decision to make at number 10. What should it be? You, you pretty much in your soliloquy just, just pretty much said everything that needed to be said about Baker Mayfield. He Baker came in. He thought he had arrived. He came in there completely out of shape, did not put in any work whatsoever. Nope. And he pretty much admitted it before the Pittsburgh game last year with, uh, in the conversation with Aaron Andrews. Uh, for those individuals who can actually go back and take a look at that, just take a, take a go back and listen to what he actually had to say. And for for that person to be the face of your franchise and saying that basically he didn't work hard enough in the offseason, to me that's red flags all over the place. The bottom line is he's back. You look at the off the talent on offense; they have everything that they need on offense, with one crucial exception, 
and that is at left tackle. The best pure left tackle in this draft is still on the board at number 10. And if I'm the Browns, I am taking the best pure left tackle on the board, and that is Andrew Thomas, the offensive tackle of Georgia. That's who I would pick, and the main reason why I would pick that is, uh, and I'm going to just pose this question to you and the listeners, Justin. So when you think of the SEC, what's the first adjective that you think of in the SEC as a conference? Uh, overrated. <laughs> 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 they overrated as hell. They're good, but they're not that good. Besides that, um, gosh, um, what do they market? What, let me change the question. What do they market their conference on? What do they base it on? They, they, well, they they claim that they're the fastest. They claim that they are the most physical. Bingo. They said they claim that they're the fastest. It's all about speed in that in that conference. And for an offensive tackle to be a three-year starter, mostly at left tackle, and have went against some of the uh, some some of the fastest pass rushers in that conference, let alone in the uh, in in the uh, championship games and also in, in for the uh, college football playoffs. When you think about that, this kid is held up against those massive pass rushers who are now in the NFL. A lot of them are making money. Some of them are still are about to uh, get drafted on Thursday night and, and become uh, big-time prospects for some other teams. And this kid has held up against all of those guys. He is a prototypical left tackle at 6'5", 315. And then there's something that uh, I really uh, uh, become to appreciate, especially when you have an analytic front office like the Browns do. They're going to look at something called spark scores, which is something that um, they that test the athleticism. It's a ranking system based on the athleticism of a particular football player. And it basically stands for speed, agility, recovery, and quickness. So when you combine all of those scores, if you look at the offensive lineman that's coming out of this draft, Andrew Thomas, if you go strictly offensive tackle, not offensive lineman, Andrew Thomas is, is ranked 10th overall. But the, the biggest thing, like I said before, he played left tackle, which is different than everybody else who's, who's, who's on this list because some of them play left and right. Some of them who play left who should be playing right. Um, but I think as a pure left tackle, this is the guy that you want to draft. And if I'm the Browns, that's who I'm drafting. So I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Andrew Thomas. I, he's the guy that about last week I kind of zeroed in on myself it's funny how we you know we've been doing this for so long and it's just kind of like we kind of end up on the same wavelength like i zeroed in on andrew thomas for those reasons specifically uh jedrick wills i don't know that andrew thomas is the best tackle in this draft i don't but here's what i do know i know jedrick wills played right tackle um in college i know that tristan Wirfs is being projected by some to be a guard and that he doesn't have although he's the he's the best athlete he's not the, the, he doesn't have the longest arms and that there were other concerns there. I know that Makai Becton is a mountain of a human, but he is raw in terms of his talent. And I think, I don't know, he, didn't, he hasn't started more than uh, Andrew Thomas has. Andrew Thomas has been a three-year starter on the left side and uh, in the SEC. So Becton is getting headlines because of his size and because of the failed drug test, but we're not going to go there. Uh, yeah. is getting Werfs is getting headlines because of his athleticism and performance at the Combine. Wills is getting headlines because of his technique and because he played at Alabama. Andrew Thomas is the one that's being slept on the most, but he seems to be the most 
the safest pick of this bunch for the Browns. Um, you know, for, for what the Browns need and and for for their ability to plug that left tackle hole, he seems to be the safest pick. He's just solid all the way around. I don't see anything wrong with that pick. I think the Browns would be uh, ecstatic to have him as their left tackle of the future. So recapping really quickly here, the top 10 of the Mark Draft 2020, Joe Burrow, one to the Bengals, Chase Young, two to the Redskins, Jeff Okuda, number three to the Lions, Jedrick Wills, number four to the Giants, Tua Tungavailoa, number five to the Dolphins, Justin Herbert, six to the Chargers, Isaiah Simmons, seventh to the Panthers, uh, Tristan Wirfs, eight to the Cardinals, Derek Brown, nine to the Jags, and Andrew Thomas, 10th to the Cleveland Browns. Um, I, I think that's the way to go, Mark. We don't really have a lot of time to get into anything else, but any final thoughts you want to share with us this evening? So I will say this. Um, so back to, going back to Spark scores in particular, um, it's, it's kind of funny because, you know, we talk about analytics all the time, and especially now that we have an analyst front office in Cleveland. Um, but it, it can't be when you're drafting – football players, it can't just always be about the numbers, and it can't just always be about what you see on tape. Because if you go back to the year before, there was 202 players that was that was utilized for the spark testing, and the person who was ranked number 200 was Quentin Nelson, who now is a Pro Bowl guard that plays for the, uh, for the Indianapolis Colts. Well said, sir. Um, we thank you. We now release you to go watch the Michael Jordan Bulls documentary with the rest of America since there's no sports on. We thank you for your time this evening, Mark. Y'all check out hiphopsportsreport.com. We, we got some more content coming at you. I, I mentioned stuff about Kobe earlier. Um, and uh, I actually am planning on doing a, a Charles Barkley-centric podcast because everybody's going old school now, and I think I need to re-educate some people on there about how dope Charles Barkley actually was as a player. So that may be coming. work. Yeah, that may be coming sometime <laughs> soon, but... Oh, we appreciate y'all for joining us this evening. Um, thank you. And, 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 you know, we're in this coronavirus thing like everybody else is. And, and so it's, it's difficult. And we, we send our love to anybody who either may be sick themselves or maybe um, ha- have a loved one or friend that may have been uh, infected or dealing with that. So um, we're praying for everybody. And hopefully uh, our country and our world can kind of come together to corral this thing. So, Mark, appreciate your time, man. We love you. Thank you all for listening. We out. Peace.